I was cleaning my car out yesterday, and um, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty neat person. Um, I, I like to have my car clean, especially the inside. Uh, I don't care that much about the outside, but the inside, I, I want to be clean. And so, uh, the girls were gone hiking yesterday, and I decided to just spend some time outside. And I got in my car and began to vacuum just really good, and uh, and I got it the way I wanted it. And I noticed on my driver's side there was just like this little pebble sitting down in between the floor mat and the, and the floor, the carpet there on the floor. And so I reached down to just pick it up and flick it out into the garage, and I, and I noticed there were more. And so I, I lifted the mat up, and it made this little outline of my whole floor mat and just junk, just uh, uh, not some nice rotting food and uh, some, some dirt and debris. And in that moment, I had this thought, that as followers of Jesus, it's not really, the, most of us are not really working on the big stuff, the stuff that we would see on the floor mat, the, the, um, the things that we can see immediately. We're working on the stuff that has fallen into the crevices of life. It's the minute things. It's, it's the pebble that's between the floor mat and the carpet. And it takes the microscope of the Holy Spirit to bring that to the forefront of our, our minds and spirits to work on it, to be addressed. Uh, if you've been following Christ for any length of time, you kind of get it. You know, you go, okay, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to lie anymore, and I'm not, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to murder anybody, I'm not going to do, you know, those big ticket items. It, for us, it, it seems to be the very small things that can easily be missed when we do a clean sweep. And so today, I, I want us to look at a character in the Bible who certainly struggled um, with the cracks and crevices of his life. He had a big old gift from God, and uh, he did not do well with it. And so some people do not handle success well, and Samson is that guy. Okay, and so I want us to look at his life for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 6, before I get to, to Judges, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand against the strategy and the trick of Satan. And so this is a good reminder of us, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and this, the story of Samson in general as a reminder that the enemy does indeed have a strategy. That when he looks at your life and my life and our church and the kingdom as a whole, um, he has a strategy for it and he has a plan and he's trying to work it out. And so the, the, the scriptures are telling us this is how you combat this. This is how you come against him. Um, so as we talk about Samson, uh, I don't have time to cover his entire lifespan, but you'll find it in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. So you can read that for yourself later this afternoon if you want to look at the entire story of his life. Samson was nothing short of a comic book hero of the Bible. And so when we look at his life, spiritually, he was soft. He was a moral coward. He really struggled with moral issues and his own identity and who he was with this big gift in his life, what to do with it, how is he going to implement this incredible strength. What makes it even more difficult to look at the life of Samson is that you and I, from, from a front row seat, observe him and we get that 
He is loaded with potential. We, we look at, at his life and we go, man, how, how can you mess this up? Come off this crazy ledge you're living on. Come back to reality. Steward this gift on your life and be a hero. I mean, just do what it is that God has put on your life. We see it. We get upset. We know he's got a lot of creativity. We'll get into that in just a minute. He had great parents. He had God's favor on his life. He was handsome. And he had some early successes. But somewhere along the way, the wheels came off of his life in a big, big way. So I want us to look at a few things today that wrecked his life and will wreck our lives if we're not diligent to observe them and continue to put them under the Holy Spirit's microscope so that we continue to go, God, I want you to have all of it. I want you to have all of my, my life. So the first thing I want to talk about today is an absence of temperance, an absence of temperance. Samson indulged in anything his flesh wanted. I'm talking about an undisciplined lifestyle, living only by his de de desires. And so our culture encourages self-indulgence. Every commercial we watch tells us that we need it and we deserve it. That we need this product or we deserve that thing. And as long as we can get our hands on it, get it in our lives, get it on our face... It's going to help us. It's going to make us what we need it to be. Indulge yourself. And so Samson learned early that just because you want something does not mean that you should have it. Just because you want it does not mean that you should have it. Listen, there, there's, there's a great theme running through all of Scripture, and it's, it's this. Freedom with responsibility. Freedom with responsibility. Religion has rules. Relationship with Christ doesn't. There is complete freedom. You just have to be responsible with the freedom that you've been given. For example, I can get in my car right now and drive anywhere that I want to go. But I have to be responsible with it. The speed limit changes. I have to look at directional things and apply them to my driving. Um, I have to be responsible not to hit other people. I, and, and, and so I have all the freedom in the world. I've just got to be responsible to it. So as we look at this, this is something Samson could not get a hold of. He wanted everything, and his biggest weakness was women. He would not tell himself no. Completely ruled by his desire rather than conviction. To prove that, in, in Judges, he's with three different women in three different chapters, and he's continually running out on relationships. He's scared to death to make a commitment, a commitment to a, a woman, a commitment to his country, a commitment to God. He wants to be that guy who just floats. I'll be over here a while. I'll be over there a, a while. I'll, uh, I'll worship with you guys a while and believe like that. And then I'll go over here and I'll, I'll believe this way and I'll adapt to this particular culture. And so he's just a floater, but you can't nail him down on anything. He just he wants what he wants and he's going to have it. So Judges chapter 14 is the first time that I want to mention him this morning. It says, Samson went down to Timnah. And he saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother... I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. 
and I want you to get her for me as my wife. And his father and mother said, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your own people? Must you go to the Philistines to get a wife? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one. Okay. Now, the King James Version says, When he saw her, she pleased him. The New International Version says, She looks good to me. The Atkinson version is, oh, yeah. Okay, that's what he said. Okay, So he sees her, and he wants her, and this is Samson's first big mistake. Okay, So don't make decisions on pleasure. Make them on principle. Make your decisions based upon proven principle that has played out and worked. A principle that works equals wisdom. And when you apply the wisdom to your circumstance, you win. When you follow the whim of pleasure, you always lose. We will fall in to self-indulgence. The fact about Samson is this. His parents had warned him. He himself had made a vow, but he didn't care anymore. When he saw what he wanted, his conviction goes out the window. And I cannot tell you, and I'm not trying to be crass this morning, but I cannot tell you how many people I've seen walk away from God over a person. Both male and female. They, they see a person, they're engaged with that person, they desire that person, whatever aspect it is, body, mind, soul, whatever it is that they feel attached to, and they say, that's what I want and I'll abandon all to be with that person. This is what was in the crevice of Samson. Look, look what God says. He says, don't be misled. Remember that you cannot ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap what he sows. If he sows to please his own desire, he will be planting seeds of evil and surely reap a harvest, watch this, of spiritual decay. That jumped off the page to me when I read it this weekend. Spiritual decay. Here's why. Decay is not instantaneous. It's a process. Something doesn't decay right, right before our eyes. No. You can look at it in a week and then look at it in three weeks and look at it three weeks later. And then you start to see the changes take place. There is something that can happen to us spiritually that is dangerous. And it's this. Spiritual decay. Somehow in our lives we get to this place. And we look at our lives and we go, how did I get here? I mean, I don't, I don't even realize how I started thinking this way about this particular thing. I don't know how I got to this place. And you look back over your life and you see the events unfold. And you go, how, how did I get here where I'm at, the way I'm living, the way I'm thinking, the way I'm worshiping? How, how did I get to that point and derail from what, what Scripture says, what's wisdom, what I know to be true. What happened to me? You look at, at, at your life and you're, you're really confused. Here's why. Because it was a slow, decaying process of, of, of your spiritual life. So here is the lie of, of the enemy. He says, it's just this one area. Just, just one. And what you should do is let yourself go in that area. I mean, you've given 99.999% of your life, life to God. You deserve a small percentage of your life that's out of control. Do what you want to do with it. Enjoy it. 
Be driven by pleasure in it. I mean, look, look at your life. 99.99% of your life is dedicated to God. Why can't you have that one small piece of you that's self-indulgent? Okay, let me give you a visual. In my 20s, my grandfather gave me his little fishing boat. It wasn't anything to be proud of. But my father and I took it, and we had a lot of fun just fixing it up. And um, so I started fishing, just little fishing spots around here. And one night, uh, my favorite time to fish was at, at night. And uh, one time I said, I- I'm going to take this little boat, and I'm going to take it to Greer's Ferry. And I'm going to put it out on that big lake. There's not, not going to be many people out there. I'll have fun with it. And uh, so I did. And I had like a seven-horsepower uh, motor on it. It's, it that, that, that means like a trolling motor. And so I'm out on Gris Ferry Lake, and I get set up, and there's a spot, and I had, I dropped an anchor, and I stuck a light down in the water, and I dipped my own minnows out, and, and I'm leaving the light there to kind of draw in this, these hybrid bass, and, and they're so fun to catch. And so I'm getting ready, and I got all this stuff, and I realize my ankles are wet. And I, so I take the spotlight out of the water, and I shine it in my boat, and I'm, I'm three inches deep in, in, the, in the water in the boat. And I start panicking, and I've got a, a cooler in there that's loaded down with stuff, and I throw the cooler in, in the, the lake to lighten the boat up, and I'm kind of panicking. There's nobody around, and I'm out here on this much larger body of water than I'm used to. And, and the, the, the long story made short is this. One hole can sink a boat, okay? One hole can sink a big old boat. And so that's why our lives need to be fully submitted to the will of God because that one thing, that one small percentage in our lives that we say, I should be given permission to let it run wild, to be self-indulgent, can sink an entire life. That one thing. And we see it through the life of Samson. Watch what 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says. He says, this, this is great, so you guys listen good. Strengthen yourselves with Christ's way of thinking. Live your lives controlled by God's will, not by human desire. Okay, tell me the same culture was not struggling with the same things that you and I struggle with. This is Old, old, old writings that are so applicable to us today. He said, listen, you need to think the way Christ thinks. Let your entire lives, 100% of it, be controlled by God's will and not by your desire. Do not be self-indulgent. The second big thing of Samson that that can get out of control is anger. Okay, Uncontrolled anger. Samson lived his life, and when you, if, if you read these four chapters this afternoon, if you'll dedicate 15 minutes to reading it, you will see he was in a constant state of rage. He really had a chip on his shoulder. Out of all the characters in the Bible, he's got the biggest chip. Okay, And so, of the reactions recorded in Scripture, they were all violent. And I think his creativity is amazing. I think he is loaded with a gift for creativity. The bad thing is he used it to be creative on how to hurt people. So he sat around thinking of these great ways to hurt other people. Right? 
Let me give you some, some scripture here. In one story, he kills 30 men because he lost a bet. In another story, he rips the gates off a city just for spite. His motivation is, I'm going to get revenge on anyone that crosses me. Okay? Judges 15, Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines, and I'll really harm them. Verse 7, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge. Verse 11, I merely did what they did to me. His reasoning, they hurt me first. Don't you think about this. How many times in our lives has somebody hurt us first? Our instinct is to lash out, is to go after them. In, in our day and time, you know, we don't rip gates off of cities. We talk about folks. So we hear somebody talk about us, well, I'm going to talk about you. And then we'll talk about your mama. Okay? We, we talk, we, we, we want to lash out and hurt people verbally. It's our biggest temptation when it comes to revenge. Job chapter 5 tells us to worry yourself to death with resentment is foolish and it's a senseless thing. Job 18.4, you are only hurting yourself with anger. Okay, let me, let me give you an example here. I don't know, I'm going to act like I'm the only person that does this because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. Sometimes I have conversations in my car to people who aren't there. <laughs> and they're unhealthy. And so before I begin one of these conversations that I'm going to have with these people who aren't in my car, I check the back seat and I look around. I want, I want to make sure I'm completely safe before I turn my tongue loose. And I will rehearse what I would like to say to that person. Just wink at me if that's you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and you rehearse it, and then I'll go, that ain't strong enough, and I'll rewind it, and I'll come out with something a little stronger, and I'm like, now I'm getting there. And I'll get warmed up, and the mojo happens, and I turn it loose, and before you know it, it's poison just coming out. Now, do I feel better? Uh-huh, I do. I feel really good when it's over. i got to wipe the spit off my windshield. I've been going great. <laughs> Pray to God for repentance for the words I just used. I, I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I, I get this, this going in my, in, in my heart, and it just comes out. And here's the bad thing about this. It's the same thing that happened with Samson. We're using creative energy to think about how we would hurt people. Now, one time Samson gets so mad. Watch this. This is a testimony to his creativity. He's sitting around. He goes, what can I do? that I have not done, and how can I hurt somebody with I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go catch 300 foxes. And so he does it. Now, I would love to know more like where he kept them, um, what his arms looked like when he was done, because it doesn't stop there. He takes the 300 foxes, and he ties their tails together, and then once he's got them paired up, he's got 150 bombs so he says, I think, I think what I'm going to do now, what, what can hurt, hurt them the most? Food. I'm going to ruin food. So he takes the 150 pairs of foxes, and he catches them on fire and releases them into the fields of the Philistines and burns down the entire crop. Now, I've been mad before, but I've never caught 300 animals and caught them aflame. We call that a personality disorder. Okay, and so I, I've, I've never done that. I've never tried to hurt, but this is how creative this guy was. And Proverbs twenty two twenty nine 29 says, A hot-tempered man is always in trouble. 
always in trouble. In my 20s, I was a youth pastor. I'm still scared to know what those teenagers are doing now as adults. And there was this moment. There is nothing more annoying than a van full of teenagers on a 10-hour road trip. Okay? Nothing more annoying than that. This was pre-iPod days. I had nothing to zone out. I just had to listen to the, to the craziness, to the drama that was happening. And we're on this really long trip, and finally, I just got fed up. I mean, rappers were flying, and people were jumping over the seats, and they were breaking all the rules that I'd set in place. And so on the freeway, I pulled it over to the shoulder, and I turned around. I said, I am going to kill someone on this van. I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody is about to die. And they got really quiet. And I got home, and people start call- these parents start calling. Did, did you really, like, tell the kids that you was going to kill them? And when my pastor would answer, answer the phone, he was like, yeah, you know, listen, Kevin was just kidding. If I answered the phone, I was like, yeah, I said I was going to kill him, and I'd do it today, right now, if I had him in front of me. The anger can come out in a moment, in a flash. It can boil over when we're carrying that chip on our shoulder. Uncontrolled anger. Third, this is a, is, is a big one, especially in, in our society, being casual with your commitments. Samson was very casual with what he said he would do, okay? Wherever in your life that you are casually committed, you are weak in that area. You could be casually committed to your marriage, casually committed to your job, casually committed to your church, casually committed to your relationship with God. And if you are casually committed in any of that, you are weak in that area. You are the pebble between the floor mat and the carpet. It's a small area of your life that you need to let the Holy Spirit get to. Samson was way too casual with his commitment to God. Here's the fact. Samson's strength came from his commitment. I'm going to throw out something here to mess us all up in our mental image. I don't think Samson was rip, ripped up. I don't think he spent 10 hours a day in the gym. I don't think he, was, he looked like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. We've all made this up in our minds that that's the way it was. I don't think he was like that at all. I think he looked like, like me. That's right. That's right. Okay. Y'all going to hurt my feelings now. It's my birthday. Okay. And so here's, here's why. Because in those four chapters, it tells us the Philistines could not figure out where his strength came from. So if he's ripped up, if he's enormous, it would make sense. They would go, I mean, look at the guy's biceps. That's how he can hold a city gate. But he didn't. They looked at him and perceived him to not have that kind of strength. The strength was a spiritual gift, not a physical gift. It wasn't his his muscle. It was the power of God in his life. And the vow that he had made fueled it. Okay. Now, this Nazarite vow, there were about three things. The first was no alcohol. He was never to drink anything, get close to grapes, nothing. The second, he had a special diet. And third, he could not cut his hair. It was a daily reminder of, of, of who he was in, in God, this, this long, flowing hair. But Samson toyed around casually with that commitment. 
He toyed around with the fact, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. I'm, I, I want to I be yours and worship. I want to be in the will of God. And then he would go and kind of do his own thing. He, he toyed around. He said, how close can I get to the line without getting burned? Okay. But his most famous failure was his last one in De, De, Delilah. So let's look at Judges 16, 15. This is toward, toward the end. She, being Delilah, says to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your strength. And I, I love the wording of this. It says, with such nagging, she prodded him. Day after day after day. <laughs> oh, I got so much I want to say right there, but I'm not going to do it. Okay. Watch this, until he was tired to death. <laughs> Just kill me, man. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> so he tells her everything. Right? Leave me alone. Okay? And in verse 20, so she, you know, you know the story there, so I'm going to skip those five verses. Verse 20, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Saddest verse in, by, in the Bible, right, right, right here. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. So this is that spiritual decay I'm talking about. Slowly and steadily, it, it was, he became a different person. The vow became less and less and less and less prevalent in his life. The relationship with God became less and less and less and less priority. And suddenly he says, I'm just, I know what I'll do. I'll hop up. I'm going to do what I always do because I'm Samson. That's who I am. That's how I roll. And so I'm going to get up and I'm going to defeat this thing and I'm going to continue my, my reputation. And his strength was gone. Couldn't do anything. Okay? So what, what happens with him? Well, let's go down to verse 21 of chapter 16. The Philistines seized him. They gorged out his eyes. They took him down to Gaza and they bound him with shackles and they set him to grinding in the prison. Okay, quick, quick side note, when you lose your spiritual power, the first thing to go is your vision. Okay, you no longer see the way God sees. You no longer have vision for his church. You no longer have vision for the kingdom. You stop resourcing it. You stop serving it. You, start coming to, you stop coming together. You stop attending life group. When you, when you start to spiritually decay, you let go of the priority of the vision, of God's vision. So... This, this is what happens. The story ends, though, with this early shadow of grace. And I'm putting the landing gear down. The story ends with an early shadow of grace. And so one day, watch this. you got to imagine this. Samson's basically in my mind, in my mind's theater. He's walking in the circle, grinding. So he's pushing some type of, of stone. And, and they're using him much like they, they, they would a, a mule or a horse. And so he's, he's grinding this big, this big stone around. And in my mind, this is, is, is what happened. He has no eyes. All he, he's chained to this whatever it is, and he's walking in circle grinding. And I think, you know, may, maybe the wind's blowing, and he feels something cross his forehead, and he reaches up to get it, and he realizes it's his hair. And so, metaphorically, this is strong, because we know that without it, that, that, that became the symbol. You've officially broken the vow. But he got a second chance. So the Lord begins to restore him in this big state of brokenness. 
And so he gets this, this second chance, and you know his prayer, Lord, just one more time, give me one more time, pushes the pillars, all falls down. He kills more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. The grace of God. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, In him being Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, plural, according to the riches of his grace. Watch this, because this is where I'm, I'm going to end today. Which he, being Christ, lavishes upon us. I love that word, lavishes. When you look this up, this is the definition of lavish. To bestow in extravagant quantities upon, way beyond what would ever be necessary. Okay, let me read it again. To bestow in extravagant quantities upon, way beyond what would ever be necessary. That the grace of God in our life is given at this level that's way more than it would take to get the job done. That the forgiveness that is poured out on our trespasses is so much greater than the trespass itself. Because it's lavishly given. It's big and deep. And wide, and your trespass drowns in the lavishness of our God's love. Isn't that good? Sometimes, even as believers, we have a hard time wrapping our mind around this because we want, we want the punishment. We want to pay the price, and you can't. You got to receive it. It's beyond your earning power. It's above your pay grade. You can't afford the lavish grace of God. Let me end with this great, great story, this visual. In Scripture, Jesus is meeting with his, his disciples, and he's having a really hard talk. And he's asking them, what do you guys think about what I said? It was a very hard sermon. It was the one where he said, I, I, I want you to drink the, my uh, blood and eat my flesh. And people were like, I can't believe you're talking like this. That's gross. And we're no longer going to follow you. And in private setting, he asked them, what, what, what do y'all think? And the, the disciples were like, listen, Lord, you just need to tone it down. I mean, you're, you're going to lose people. We've, we've built this thing from scratch, and we're with you, and we've... We've seen you do a crazy, I mean, just, just keep healing people. Stop all the drink my blood and eat my flesh stuff and just open blind eyes and raise people up again. That's what people want. And he turns it on them and he says to them, do y'all want to leave too? Do you want to leave? You want to walk out on, on, on this too? You think it was too strong? And Peter comes to the rescue of, of the situation and he, and he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? And the context of that statement is this, Lord, you're so good to us, who else are we going to serve? Lord, you, you can say whatever you want. I'm staying. Because you've loved me in a way I've never been loved. I left a job for you. I left a shipping empire for you. I'm with you. To whom shall I go? Man, when we get this in our guts, it changes everything. 
we look at our lives and look at what's offered, when we look at, at all the things that we could self-indulge, no, we just say, man, i got one place to go, and that's to the, the Lord because he lavishly loves me. In quantities that are immeasurable, 